have been in a series going through the book of James, talking about what it looks like to move beyond useless faith. We, we want to have a faith that actually touches our lives, that actually affects our lives. That's not just something that uh, is belief that we have about God, but is actually something that influences and changes all the different aspects of our lives. This is what the book of James is about. This is what he desires for us to be able to experience. Not just beliefs, but a life that's changed and affected by those So this is what we are talking about. I'm going to pray for us as we get into our section today as James wants to help us with some important topics. Father, would you um, just help us today as we as we open your word and and listen to what you have to say to us? Um, God, I pray that you would help me to communicate in a way that is helpful for all of us to learn and grow in the ways that you desire for us. God, I pray that as we come in here this morning, maybe fighting in the car on the way here, maybe having kids be chaotic, maybe just filled with things on our to-do list that we have to do after this or, or things that we have to do this, this coming week. God, as there's just so much kind of in our hearts and minds. I pray that you would make this small time that we have together, this, this space, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would help us uh, to hear and to grow and to and to be changed, God, that I know you desire for each of us a faith that, that is useful, that is helpful. And so I pray that today would be just helpful in that end for, for each of us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, we're talking about money today. Uh, so if you want to leave, this is the best time to do it. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're talking about money, and I know that that's uh, something that's not a topic that we like to hear about, but it's something that the Bible talks about a lot, but it's something that we all care about, right? We all care about money. It's something that is often in our thoughts. There's, there's actually a study that was done that said that 26% of people say they think about money more than anything else on a daily basis. It's the most common thing that we think about on a daily basis. Uh, 14% was love life. So if you ever look at the person that you like and say, what are you thinking about, sweetie? And they, you think it's yourself, it's probably money would be the, the right answer. Um, and money is just a thing that we think about all the time, right? Most people, for most of the time, we think about money. And you might have different kinds of thoughts about that, but we are often and continually, maybe even daily, if you're like most Americans, thinking about money. Or maybe it's something that you are afraid of. I know those of you in the back can't see the, the numbers, but you can probably see the colors, and, unless you're colorblind, and then I'm sorry. But um, there's a picture on here, and I'll explain it to you. But this talks about the biggest fears that we have about money by, by age. And if, if you're anywhere from 18 up to 44, which is most of you, then most of those people, uh, the biggest fear that they have is always living paycheck to paycheck. So uh, you, you think about money, but we're also afraid. We have different fears about money, which might be living paycheck to paycheck. Then as it starts to get into older than 44, uh, between 44 and 64, the biggest fear switches to never being able to retire. So if you're anywhere between 44 and 64, your fear might be, man, I, what if I can never retire? And then I love kind of the last one in the orange. Only people 65 and up, their biggest fear is having my identity stolen. See, younger people don't care. Millennials don't care. It's like, steal my identity. I don't have any money. It doesn't matter, you know? But once you've kind of amassed some wealth, you're like, please don't steal my identity. But nobody else cares. They're like, take it. It doesn't matter. You've got a lot. Please take it. Pay my bills. You're afraid. We have fears about money. We think about money. Or maybe there's just kind of feelings we have about money. Uh, I think this picture represents some of the feelings that's just kind of the disgust 
we might feel around money. You know, just as we look at our world, we might just feel, man, we really just kind of mess with our world and just soak it for all it's got for money. Man, people around us are greedy, and there's or a picture like this that we may see. And, and for some of us, just we just feel like we just look around our world and think about the materialism. And I, again, I don't think you have to be a Christian or anything to, to feel this stuff. But I think in our world today, we, we feel some of this stuff about money, right? We feel, man, our world's just materialistic, and there's so much there's so much being used and wasted and new stuff all the time. And there's just a lot that we think about money or, or fear about money or even just feel about money. We can't always pinpoint exactly what it is, but, but there's a lot about money that's often on our hearts, that's often on our minds. And oftentimes we're overwhelmed by it, if we're honest, and we can feel trapped by by it or confused and conflicted. And, and the Bible oftentimes, it's, it's really interesting, when the Bible talks about money, whether it's Jesus or, or it's the Old Testament or, or today what we'll look at, a lot of times when the Bible talks about money, it doesn't sit down and say, hey, let, let me tell you kind of how to budget or, or stuff like that. It, it really, a lot of times when the Bible speaks about money, it's warning us. It's warning us because God knows and Jesus knows and James knows that if we're not careful with money, and you probably know this also. If we're not careful with money, and we're not careful with money, it can be something that begins to rule us. It begins to be something that can really take over our thoughts and our emotions and our hearts and our, and our lives. And, and so oftentimes when the Bible speaks about money, it starts with warning because God wants so much joy for us. And God wants us to live lives with, with purpose. And so when the Bible speaks about money, it often begins warning us because of the dangers that money can cause to our, own, to our own souls. And oftentimes money just traps us. And so if we want to experience freedom, if we want to experience something better than overwhelmed or fear or just thinking, if we want to experience something better than that, we, we need to understand some of the things that James wants to teach us today, understanding some of what the problems that we have with our money and some of where those come from and then how we can be able to experience Freedom. So we're going to look at what James has to say, and I'm just going to warn you that it's intense, okay? I just want you to know this is not my words, it's God's words, it's James' words, and it's intense what he says, okay? So we're going to look at this and understand how this actually can be a help for us in the fears and the thoughts and all the different emotions that we experience around money. So here's what he says, James 5, 1 through 6. Come now. That's just an invitation to say, yo, listen up. Come now. You rich. And let me just pause there because you might go, this isn't about me. But um, we're all rich. It, compared to the world, there's a, I can't remember the website, but if you just Google, like, how rich am I or something like that globally, I mean, Americans and pretty much any, if you make more than, I think it's like $1,100 a year. If you make more than $1,100 a year, which I think is probably most everybody in here, if you make more than $1,100 a year, not $11,000, $1,100 a year, then you're richer than basically 98.2% of the world. Okay, so when the Bible's talking about rich, that's us. We're the richest people that have ever existed in the history of the world. And maybe you make $300,000 and maybe you make $20,000, but, but compared globally, man, we're wealthy. We're very wealthy. And some of us are even what our culture here in America would consider wealthy, but some of us maybe are not, but we are as it is considered globally. So I just think this is an important thing for all of us to hear instead of, well, I'm not rich, and excusing ourselves. 
from that, okay? Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is where James begins. And if we want to experience some of the freedom or heed some of the warning that that James has for us, we need to hear what he says. And let's start with this question. What's the problem with how we use our money? What's the problem with how we use our money? What's he addressing here? And really, what does the Bible address often when when it comes to money. And, and when you think about problems with money, a lot of times people are kind of in one of two camps. Not, not everybody, and maybe you kind of move from maybe you're right in the middle or kind of one season of your life you're in this camp and the other season of life you're in this camp. But when it comes to our money problems, do you think our problems, and don't answer this, I'm not calling for a, a vote or something, but when it comes to our money problems, do you think they're mainly from spending or mainly from saving? Or another way to think about it is, is um, how should you use money on the positive side versus the negative side? Should we spend it or should we save it? And a lot of times people are broken up into different camps on this and spouses are broken up into different camps on this. And even just the voices in our world are broken up into different camps on this. In our, in our culture, in our world, we're not really sure the answer to this question, I don't think. I don't, I don't think our culture at large is. I don't think we personally are, are sure. What's the answer? Do we spend? Do we save? How, how do we use money? Is it spending? Is it saving? There's lots of talk. There's lots of advice on both of these. Some people would say, man, you know what you need to do? Here's how you use money. All the problems with your money come from too much spending. What we need to do with our money is to save. So that you see a lot of articles things like this that would say, and this is specifically targeted to millennials, but um, it says, opinion, millennials need to put on gloves and fight now for their retirement. It's got a dude boxing a bear. And it says, millennials need to put on gloves and fight. Learn how to handle bear markets, inflation, taxes, emotions. It says, look, the big problem with our money is we're spending too much. You need to learn now how to save. You need to learn now. You need to fight to save your money. Stop spending so much and begin saving. Or here's another one. Millennials, do this now so you can actually retire at 65. And if you're wondering why here, the, the little caption says, your life always won't, won't always be like this. Plan ahead so it can be even better. I know right now your life is taking selfies with astronauts, but it's not always going to be like that, millennials. You've got to save now so you can retire. I love how media always represents millennials. It's just always selfies and halter tops, you know. Get on track so you can retire in style. So maybe that's kind of where you come from, right? Maybe you think, here's the problem with money. The problem with money is spending. The problem with money is people are too extravagant. They're spending too much. You need to save. You need to kind of build a good financial future. Maybe this is how you were raised. Maybe this is what your family taught you. Maybe you're really into budgets, and, and you're really good at that, right? Or... Some people say, no, 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 no. The problem is saving. You need to be able to spend your money. This is from the Financial Post. Afraid to spend? 
why you should stop saving so much and enjoy your money. Look, you've only got one life to live. Stop worrying about when you're 60 and 70 and, and 80 and too old. My, my, uh, my mom, you know, she wouldn't care if I said this. She's always kind of like, I'm, I'm going to be too old to enjoy my money at this point, so I want to spend it all now. I want to travel now and, and do all these things now because I'll, I'll be too old to spend my money. I'll, I'll, I won't be able to move. And she's like, I want to spend it now. Afraid to spend? Why you should stop saving so much and enjoy your money? Or, again, with, it doesn't specifically say they're millennials, but you know they are because <laughs> millennials take selfies with astronauts and drive while standing up. That's all they do. If you have, <laughs> and have really old cars, right? If you have savings in your 20s, you're doing something wrong. If you have savings in your 20s, you're doing something wrong. You need to be able to spend to enjoy life. You need to be, and you need to just be able to soak it up and live it up and take the money you have now and enjoy life. Experiences, travel, and good food, and friends, and stop worrying, so, stop being so uptight. And, and again, you might have this in your relationship, right? A lot of times it's kind of one person is one way and the other person's another way, and there can be kind of conflict that often happens. There's spending, there's saving. What's the problem with how we use our money? Is it spending? Is it saving? James actually addresses both of them. And says, yes, both of those are a problem. Both can be wrong. Both can miss the target of what God has for us. He talks about spending when he says, you're living in this world with luxury and self-indulgence. You're living in this world with luxury and self-indulgence. Your money is just about spending to enjoy your life. But then he also talks about saving when he says, look, You've been laying, he uses the language, you've been laying up treasure. You've got gold and you've got silver and it's kind of all piled away. And you've got stuff and it's all piled away. He says, you've been laying up treasure. And that's what many of us are actually trying to do is to lay up treasure. To actually store our gold and silver. And we don't use, I mean, maybe some of you use that. But most of us use, you know, we store up our bank accounts, our credit cards, our dollars. And James says, look, some of you, man, you're, you're living in luxury and self-indulgence, driving around with the top down and standing up, taking selfies with astronauts at music festivals. That's what you're doing. And then some of you, man, you're saving, you're hoarding, you're, you're stockpiling, you're laying up treasure. James says both spending, saving can be a problem because here's why. At the heart, they're both the same. At the heart, they're both the same. They're using our money for ourselves. See, if you're somebody that spends a lot, money is for you and your enjoyment and yourself. And if you're somebody that says, no, 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 that's the problem. It needs to be saved for what? Why? For yourself. For your life, for your goals. For maybe it's saved so you can spend later, but maybe it's saved so you know that you're safe, that you know that you're secure, that you know that you can take care of all the things that you want to take care of. James says both of these are an issue because money is viewed as this is a tool for me, for myself. Which, here's what that means. It means that spending and saving isn't the thing that necessarily needs to change. It's not so much a money issue. There's something more that's going on, and James will show us what that is. See, where, where do the money issues actually come from? Where do our money issues come from? Whether it's spending or whether it's saving, where do the money issues come from? 
Why is it that many of us struggle with spending or saving? Why is it that we have so many fears about money or think about money so often? Whether you think about what you can spend money on or you think about saving, well, why is it? We know that money can be an issue, right? I mean, we, we, everybody knows that. Nobody's like, no, money, I, I, it's all good. We know money can be an issue. We don't want that. Nobody wants money to be an issue, but oftentimes we're not sure why. Why are we stuck when it comes to money? Why, why is there so much conflict in relationships about money? Why, why do we fear money so much? Why, maybe this is you, why do you compulsively check your, your accounts, your stock accounts, or your bank accounts? Why, why do we have so much conflict relationally about money or so much fear about money or so much, man, what if I don't have enough Man, I really need to get that job. Why do we overwork if it's about money? Why? Why is money? Why are we stuck? Where, where do these issues come from? Why do we feel guilt about money so much? Where does this stuff come from? And here's what James said. James gives us this picture. He gives us a picture and says he wants us to imagine a cow. He says, I want you to think about a cow. A cow grazing. Think about a cow grazing and eating. And here's what James says. It's really interesting language. He says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And he's giving us an image of a cow that would be grazing, that is eating, that is feeding itself, and doesn't know it's actually getting fatter and fatter and fatter for the slaughter. He says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. But, but listen to that language, because this is really pinpointing what the issue is. He doesn't just say you're getting fat and God's going to bring judgment. He says, you have fattened your hearts. You've fattened your hearts. See, where do our money issues come from? James says, you know what it is? We're feeding our hearts. We have a hungry heart. We have a very hungry heart. James says the issues come from this, this heart is hungry. This heart that's hungry and needs to feed itself. That feels like it never has enough. And keeps filling and filling. You ever go to a Mexican restaurant and uh, before your food even comes, you are stuffed because you've had just tons of chips and salsa? This is me all the time, right? <laughs> I oh, don't even order anything, and then <laughs> I feel bad. No, not really. I still do, but I don't really eat it. Because I just chow the chips and salsa and shovel them. And this is what James is saying. He says, you're a cow, and you're hungry, and you're feeding your heart, and you, just like good chips and salsa, you can't get enough. Why? Because our hearts are hungry. And money is a tool that feeds the heart. Money is the food that feeds the heart. See, think about money. Why is it that you want money? What is it, why is it, think, you can think about it two ways. Why is it that you want money, or what are you afraid about not having when it comes to money? What is it in your heart that you feel like you have to keep feeding, that money is the provision, that money is what's filling up? What's the hole in your heart that you experience that money is the food that begins to fill it? And it could be all sorts of things. James doesn't lay them all out for us. There's other parts of the Bible that, that talk about the same kind of stuff. James is really just echoing 
very similar teaching of Jesus on this exact stuff, using very similar language even. James was Jesus' brother and one of his disciples that hung out with him and was around him all the time. So the teaching that James is giving is very similar to stuff that Jesus says. And the Bible talks about this stuff a lot, that our hearts are hungry, that we, that we feel like there's this lack and I need more to fatten my heart. Could be all sorts of different things. Maybe for you, money is something that that leads you to experience people's approval and appreciation of you. And that could lead you to spend a lot of money on your appearance. It could lead you to spend a lot of money on even even just being nice and doing stuff for people because you really want their appreciation and their acceptance and their approval. And money is the food that allows that hole in your heart of, man, I need people to approve of me. I need people to like me. I need people to respect me. And, and so money is that food that you keep needing to fatten that heart desire. Or maybe for you, it's just comfort. Maybe, maybe life, maybe your heart just craves a comfortable life. Maybe that's because you grew up and didn't have a comfortable life. Maybe you didn't have certain things and now you've kind of worked hard, you've pulled yourself up by the straps and gotten to work and done a good job. And, and man, you want, maybe it's for you, maybe it's for your kids, wh- whatever it is. It's like, man, I need a comfortable life. A life of comfort is what I need. And so your heart craves a life of comfort. And so it needs to keep feeding, feeding, feeding. Or maybe it's just safety. Maybe it's safety. Maybe it's security that your heart your heart needs. It, it feels like there's this hole and that life is only good if you know I'm safe. I'm, I'm secure. A lot of times people like this save a lot. They don't spend a lot. They save a lot. So it's like, man, I need life to be safe and secure. And money's the food that fills that heart. Your heart is fattening. James says, you know where our money issues come from? It comes from our hearts. We are feeding our soul. We're feeding our soul. And I, I saw this picture as I was just preparing this sermon. I thought it was so great. It's, it's just, it says, I'm a piece of paper and I control your entire life. That's what James is saying. That, that a dollar, that a hundred dollars, that ten thousand dollars, I mean, pick, pick a number for you of whatever that might be. So you might have a retirement goal of I need this much money or you might have a, uh, a career goal of I need to make this much money or you might have no goals. Doesn't just, it's not just people with goals. You might not think about this that much at all, but you still feel, man, if I had money, if I had money, stuff would be okay. And it begins to control our life. It begins to control our life. And like a cow and grass, it satisfies for a little while. I mean, how many times have you seen a cow? And you probably don't look at cows that much anyways, but how many times have you seen a cow that was eating and then was like, all right, I'm good, and just like sat down. It's like, yeah, I'm good now. Never, right? And again, I know you probably don't look at cows. And like, yeah, in all my time of looking at cows, I've never seen that. But the point is like cows are just continually feeding, right? I think cows even have like three stomachs or something. They're just continually feeding. This is why James is make, wanting us to go in that direction to think about this is what money is for us. We're eating, we're eating. It might satisfy for a little while, but if it's controlling our life, if it's something that isn't just money to us, but it's fattening and feeding our hearts, then what happens? We need more and more and more. And we're afraid we're gonna lose the more that we've gotten. And we're, we're continually focused on it. We're continually thinking about it. 
We're never sure that we have enough, and, and we're, we're always spending more than we have. I mean, all, I mean, I don't know about the people in this room, but I know about America of how much debt we're in. That we're just continually feeding and fattening our hearts. James says this is where the money issues come from. This is why money controls us. This is why money's in our, this is why you don't have to try hard about money, right? It just happens. None of you have to plan out to think about money or to be afraid about money or to feel kind of just emotions around. None of us have to in, be intentional about that. It just happens. It's on us all the time. It controls our lives because it's about our souls. It's about our hearts. This is what James says. And then, you know what James also tells us? These heart issues lead to. It leads us to mistreating others. It leads us to mistreating other people. Because we're only thinking about ourselves. See, if, if money is something that is used to feed comfort or used to feed people's appreciation or approval or used to feed a life that's comfortable or used to feed safety or used to feed those things that our hearts feel like they need, we begin to lose focus on other people. We begin to lose focus on other people, which then leads to mistreating people. James talks about this, and, and studies actually show this. Studies actually show, it's, it's really crazy. Studies will show that the more wealth that you have, the more wealth that people have, the less charitable they are in their giving. Isn't that crazy? Because so many of us actually think, I'll be able to give money when I have more money. But the studies actually show the wealthier you are, the less percentage of money that you give to charitable causes. Even we think about people like, uh, and look, they've given way more money to the world than I ever will. We think about people like Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg that pledge, I'm going to give a billion dollars. But that's like me saying, I'm going to give you this quarter. That's nothing. And again, it's way more than I'll ever give. I mean, I'm Praise God that, man, they're doing all sorts of good things around the world, but percentage-wise, there's people that are making $20,000 that are very, very generous, studies would show. And yet the wealthier we are, the more we become focused on ourselves. There was this article in Salon, and I have no idea why that's the picture, but it's actually kind of accurate for what James is talking about. And this is, I don't know if you read Salon, it's definitely not a Christian you know, magazine by any source of the imagination. Um, but they actually quote Jesus in here. I actually quote Jesus because Jesus talks a lot about money. And it says, this is your brain on money, why America's rich think differently than the rest of us. And it's talking about how the, the more wealth that we get, the more we begin to focus on ourselves. And this is exactly what James says. You're fattening your heart. Money's for you. Money's used for you. And, and the effect of that is we begin to stop thinking about other people. Here's a Here's a quote that sums up the article that they say at the very end, and I had to bleep a word, but um, it says, all humans are delusional. It's the only, it's, all humans are delusional. It's only the rich who have that delusion fostered. All humans are, to some extent, holes, whatever that is, but only rich people can get away with it. See, it says, look, rich people are delusional. They're thinking about themselves. They're for themselves. There's studies, again, that show that the nicer the car you drive, the, the ruder driver you are in traffic. All humans are, to some extent, bad people, but only rich people get away with it. Only rich people have built their lives to this extent. This is exactly what James says. James says, you know what begins to happen when you're focused on yourself? 
You're not fair with how you use your money. James talks about people that, and for those of you that run businesses, this is, this is, I mean, this is great, very practical for, for you, but not fair in how you pay people, not caring about people, not helping people. James lists out some things that money does. He, he even ends it with saying, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And, and some of the kind of common people that write stuff on the Bible, commentators and stuff like that, some of them say maybe he's talking literally that these people have actually uh, killed people, which, I mean, you look at a lot of the crime that happens in our world, and a lot of it has some money connection somewhere. But a lot of people say he's just being symbolic based on, based on the effects. Because when we do mistreat people, when we do not pay them fairly, when we are thinking of ourselves with our money, it eventually leads to the kinds of things that bring pain and destruction into other people's lives. We don't care because we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about fattening our hearts. And James says the effect of the heart being fattened the cow eating grass isn't like, I wonder if there's enough of this for everybody. The Caleb eating chips and salsa doesn't think that either. I just, I just dig and eat and go. Because he says, you're thinking about fattening yourself and it blinds you to other people. And so people begin some, to become something you use for money. And again, you might not think that you do that, right? The rich don't think they do that. The wealthy don't think they do that. But it is. That's the effect of our lives. The effect of our lives that say money for me, money saving for me, money spending for me always has an effect on people around us. This is why James wants to point it out. Now, I think, I think most of us can feel this in some way. I think most of us can go, yeah, I, you know, again, whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not exactly sure what you believe or where you are, I think most of us feel this in some way. Like, yeah, I don't, I know money's a problem for me. I know money, I think about it too much. I know our world seems to be greedy and materialistic. I mean, there's critiques from Salon or, you know, anywhere else it doesn't have to be the Bible that says, look, there's issues with money. I think most of us feel that, agree with that, but, but find ourselves still trapped find ourselves still trapped and not sure, okay, maybe it is coming from my heart. Maybe, maybe I agree. Maybe, maybe I am feeding something in my heart. I, I need in my soul safety. I need in my soul comfort. I need in my soul people's appreciation and approval. I need that. But still go, I don't know how to, I don't know how to break free from that. Still find ourselves trapped. And so how, how can we be free from our money issues? How can we be free? How can we experience a deeper cho joy and experience the purpose that God desires for our money. And James gives us really two perspectives that we need to have if we want to experience some freedom in this. He gives us two perspectives that are going to help us. And look, let me just say this. The Bible says tons about money. So I'm not saying this is the last word, the only word, that if you're $5,000 in debt or $50,000 in debt, I'm not saying this is everything, but this is what James wants to help us with today. And there's two perspectives that he says that we need. The first is we need an eternal perspective, which means we need to begin to remember this life is not all there is. Isn't it interesting that both spending and saving are focused on this life is all there is? Spending says this life is all there is, so enjoy it now while you can. Saving says this life is all there is, so you better make sure 
the last 30, 40 years or whatever it is of your life that you're set up for now. Because this life is all there is. Don't you want to be able to have enough money to fund your bucket list? Don't you want to have enough money to be able to? I mean, it's a perspective that says this life is all there is. And if we really believe that, how can we not? If, if we really believe this life is all there is, how could we not be focused on money? Because money is a great substitute for God. It is. If this life is all there is, money is second best to God. Because it can provide you people's approval and comfort and safety and security and so much that we look to or should look to in God. And, and so the first thing James says is we need an eternal perspective. We see this as he kind of critiques the perspective that we have here, saying, look, your riches, your clothes, they're rotting. Moths are eating them. You're laying up treasures here. And Jesus says that same thing when he says moths and rust affect stuff and you're laying up treasures here, Jesus says. And the alternative is to lay up treasures in heaven, which means to think about our money from an eternal perspective. It means don't just think about your money here and because, because it's all going to, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all gone, right? At the end of the day, where are the clothes that you are wearing right now, the clothes that I'm wearing right now, where are they going to be in just a little bit of time? They're going to be at the Goodwill or in a garbage dump. That's, I mean, moths are going to eat them. Trash is going to infect it. Worms are going to live in it. Where's the best, what's your best thing that you have right now? Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe, I don't know what it is. You got some cool gear, some sweet skis or whatever. It's all going to be in a, it's going to be in a dump. This is what James is saying. He's saying, look, if you're only thinking about this world, then of course money's going to have a grip on you. But we need an eternal perspective. We need to think about life beyond this life and think about how can I use my money for what matters eternally, for what doesn't just have a however long you're going to live, right? It doesn't just have a 100-year span on it. How can I use my money for things that matter eternally, for things that matter for always. And, and what God would say that is, is people. People matter forever. We're going to be with people forever. And people matter forever. This is what it means to lay up our treasures in heaven and not our treasures on earth. Is to use for what God considers eternally important, which is people. Now here, here's what should happen right now if you're really taking James seriously. If you're really taking James happen is we begin to say, so how much, how much do I need to save? How much do I need to spend? How much am I supposed to give away or how much am I supposed to keep? Like what's the line that we should start to begin? If we're taking James seriously, we should start to begin to move in that direction where we start to feel James say, hey, this earth doesn't matter eternally. So that should guide your spending that should begin to move us to a place where we start to go, so how much am I supposed to save? How much am I supposed to spend? And start to be kind of feeling that a little bit. And I love the way that Pastor Tim Keller, he's an author and pastor in, in Manhattan, and he says this. He says, if the Bible continually warns us about the danger of materialism, and it does over and over and over again, yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it, then it means a great number of people are blinded to and by the power of money in their lives. So the Bible warns about it all the time, but a lot of us don't think, oh, that's not an issue for me. It means we're blind. 
the only responsible thing to do is go on the working hypothesis that we are infected by materialism and must be on the watch for it. But we should all think, man, I probably have an issue with it. And so I, I want this power not to have a power over me. And so what do we do? He says, the only way we can be free from the power of money and be sure we are free and not self-deluded, not think, oh, it's not an issue, I'm free from it, is to give away money so much that we lower our living standard. We must see that we live in a smaller or less opulent space, that we take simpler vacations, that we spend less money on clothes and the like than we otherwise would. He's not saying don't spend any money on those things. He's saying you've got to, the only way to release the power that has on your life is to significantly lower our living standard. And then this is from a larger article that he has, but he says, while the theme of money and creation, kind of referencing his earlier part of the article, leads to the practical principle of giving the tithe, that's 10% of the money that God's given you to the church, the theme of money and fall, just the fact that our world's affected by sin, leads to the practical principle of giving sacrificially until it simplifies your lifestyle. So what does that mean? It means it's different for, for all of us. That how much do I save and how much do I spend? Should I take this off and sell it? Should I always be barefoot and sell these? Do, should, like, that's not, you don't have to move in that direction. But if you're not wrestling, if you're not at least wrestling, it means you're blind. If you're not wrestling with some of those questions, it means that you're blind. This is what James said. That this is a huge issue for us. And if we're not at least wrestling and beginning to consider what Tim Keller would say, which is, man, I've got to let, the only way to release the power of this in my life is to give in such a way that my standard of living is actually lower than it could be. How can we be free from the power of money in our lives? The first is we have to have an eternal perspective. If we don't have an eternal perspective, the natural flow of our lives will be, it's about me. Second thing that James says is that we have to have a perspective that just brings God into our money. Look, all of us, I, I put myself in this, this boat, but I think all of us are here. All of us are very private about our money. No one just walks around being like, yeah, I make this much money, and this is what I do with my money, and hey, want to see my bank statement? Like, we're all really private with our money. It's one of those issues that's like, a, hey, don't, don't ask, don't touch this, don't look at this, don't. It's a very private thing. But what's interesting is what James says is he wants us to understand, do you know that God sees every part of your finances? Do you know that God sees every part of your budget? That God sees every transaction on your credit card? That God sees every and, and he actually uses the language of God hears it because he hears the effects that it has on other people. God hears. God hears every swipe of the card. God hears every coin. God hears every rustling, rustling dollar that comes out. God hears our money. God sees our money. And James says, look, we need a perspective that says what would happen what would happen with our money if we really believed God's involved, God sees it, God hears it? What would happen? I mean, 
just answer that question for yourself. What, what would happen if you believed that? What would change if you really believed God saw and heard all the ways that we use, spend, save our money? Or here's another way to think about this. Here's another way to think about this. What would happen if our heart wasn't being fattened and fed by money? What would happen if our heart wasn't being fattened and fed by the things that money gives to us? Comfort, security, approval. What, what if our heart wasn't being fattened by that, but our heart was being fattened by who God is instead? What, what if that hunger that we have was satisfied, actually filled up, but not by what money gives, who God is? That would change us. That would, that would free us. And there's some things in this passage that we can see about God that, that our heart needs to feed on, maybe, maybe different of us. And I think there's at least three things about God I just want to point out that, man, I, I hope our hearts could feed on. Here, here's the first that we need to see who God is and let this fill our hearts. The main thrust of this passage that we see is that God's a judge. James writes this. Think about the language that he uses. It's very intense, right? I mean, the, the language he uses about being slaughtered and your flesh being eaten by fire, like, it's intense stuff. I mean, why, why is this in the Bible? I mean, what, what's going on? And it's, a, it's supposed to be a wake-up call. James wants us to know God is a judge. God is a judge that actually cares. See, see when it comes to money, so often we are blind. And when it comes to money, so often we do whatever we can to escape the weight, to escape the weight of the, the conviction that comes upon us with money. See, maybe right now, and I don't know, look, I, I have no idea where you're at. I know broad statistics of our country and the church in America, but, but he, here's what I do know just from, from that and from people and from talking. What often happens is this. We might feel some sort of conviction about how we use our money, and we do whatever we can to escape from the weight of that. We say, okay, later, okay, one day, oh, but you don't understand, oh, but I give my time, or but I give, uh, but saving is really important, but spent, man, I've, I've only got this, but this matters, but th we do whatever we can to escape the weight of feeling conviction instead of obey God, instead of actually listen to what God says. And, and part of the reason, I just want you to, look, who cares about me, Okay? Who cares about what I say? But I want you to just take seriously the language that James uses. The language James uses is intense. You can't deny that, right? I didn't write it. I would never write that. I would never write this. People would flip out if I wrote that. Right? If I sent out uh, like a church email and, and I just wrote this, everyone would be like, what has, whoa, this guy needs to smoke some stuff and chill, right? People would flip out. But James says this. Why? Because he's, he, it's, a, it's supposed to be a wake-up call. James wants to get in our face and say, do you know that God is a judge that really does care? If our hearts, for some of us, we need to feed on that. We need to feed on God is somebody that is a just judge and really cares. And I would say this too. Maybe you're somebody that has been cheated and, and betrayed and used. The victims of what James is talking about. And it's good news to know God is a just judge that will take care of you, whether that's here or in the future.
But the second thing we can see about this is how deeply God loves us. See, what I want for us is our hearts to feed not on what money gives to us, but who God is. Feed your heart on that God's the judge. What would that do to your wallet? Feed your heart on how much this passage shows that God loves us. It doesn't look like a passage about God's love. It looks like a passage about God's justice and his judgment. But think about it. Think about that language and what what God is actually saying. He's saying how much he passionately cares about people. Do you see that? He's saying how much he, he does not want our wealth to go to being just used for us. And God passionately, deeply cares about people. That it breaks his heart when money is being used for ourselves instead of the people that God loves and cares about. Do you see how much that shows? Look, have you ever used intense language like this to somebody? If you have, maybe it was a customer service person and you didn't see their face. It was over the phone. You're like, I'm going to eat your flesh like fire. And they're like, whoa, I'll give you whatever you want. <laughs> um, you've probably never said that. Um, but if you've ever used intense language against somebody, it's probably because they were hurting or possibly wanting to hurt someone that you really loved and cared about. He said, if you touch her, I will destroy you. Or I remember when I was in high school, my brother was kind of a nerd, and um, he was getting picked on on the bus. And I just got sick of it one day because I sat like a couple seats back than he sat, and I stood up and grabbed this guy that was making fun of him. And I didn't even know what I was going to say, but I just said, I'm going to rip your face off your face. (laughs) And I was like, oh, crap. First of all, that ruined the moment because it was so stupid that it didn't mean anything. But it was really, it's kind of what James is saying. He's like, your flesh is going to get eaten by fire, like, or you're, you're a cow that's about to be slaughtered, or and all of that. What is it saying? It's intense, because when you care deeply about someone, when you love someone very passionately, you, you use passionate language to say, do not mess with this person. So this actually shows us how deep God's love for us is. There's not, I mean, this is the most intense language James uses in this whole book, and it's around money. Partially because it's a wake-up call to say, look, we got to know that God's the judge. But part of it is to say, look, I want you to see how much God loves people that he would warn. How much God loves people that he would use this kind of language to say, stop. Stop treating people like this. Stop using your money for yourself. God's using passionate language to say, I love people and I want money that I've given to be used to love people. What if you believe that about God? What if you believe God loved you this much? What if your heart fed on that? If you believe you had a God that was in your corner this much, that loved you this much, wouldn't that begin to release some of the power of money that your heart feels like it needs to be fattened by? And finally, it shows us about God, His grace. There's no grace talked about in this passage. It's just judgment because, again, the primary point is a wake-up call. James wants us to stop denying and excusing. But we do see grace in this. We do see grace in this because, if we're honest, most of us have misused our money. We've saved too much. We've spent too much. It's been about ourselves. We've done exactly what James is talking about. And you know what should happen to us? the stuff the passage lays out. 
we might not consider it sin to that degree, but all sin, the Bible says, is guilty of death, of being slaughtered, of having our flesh eaten by fire. But you know what the good news is? The good news is even though that you and I have sinned in the way that we use our money, the good news is we don't have to be slaughtered. Jesus was slaughtered for us. That even though you and I have sinned in our money, maybe even this week or maybe for years of our lives, even though we've sinned in the use of our money, our flesh doesn't have to be eaten like fire. Jesus' flesh was torn off his body for you and I to bring forgiveness. God doesn't want to leave us in a place of condemnation. He wants us to see, look how gracious I am that you don't have to be slaughtered. Look how gracious I am that instead of this coming on you, I was slaughtered for you. My flesh was eaten for you. I wept and howled on the cross for you. You see, this is the good news of the gospel, that though we've sinned, that though we have used our money in wicked ways, God says, that's exactly the sin I came to die for, to forgive you from to free you from. And if our hearts feed on these things about God, that he's a judge, that he loves us passionately, that he is so gracious, our hearts then don't need money. They don't need to be fattened by money. What would happen if our hearts feasted on this, on who God is? What would happen? You know what happens? Money just becomes a tool. It becomes a tool. It's not food anymore. It's not this food for our hearts to fatten them up. It's just a tool. It's just a tool that we can use for other people instead of to get from people. Practically, here's what that means. It means we should build our budgets. And maybe you don't have a budget, so it's time to start to build our budgets in a way that says, God, I want to use my money for what eternally matters. I want to use my money in a way that shows that you are what I'm feasting on, who you are, not money. It means we probably need to simplify, like Tim Keller said, and think about how can I be so generous that my lifestyle is actually lowered. And it doesn't mean that if you make $300,000 that you have to start living like you have 10. It doesn't mean that, but it means, man, you should give so generously that your lifestyle does take a hit. So sacrificially that your life is affected. And it means practically, again, like Tim Keller says in the Bible, teaches elsewhere that we should be generous in our giving, that we should be generous in our giving. The Bible teaches that we should give 10% of the money that God has given us to support what God cares about, just people, just the church. That's what God cares about. God cares about people because they eternally matter. We care as a church about people because we believe people eternally matter. I want to show you just a, a quick video, and then, uh, and then I'll wrap it up. This is just a, our church, and this is part of what you give to when you give to our church. Our church gives 10% of all of, we, we tithe as a church. God calls us to tithe as individuals, and then we tithe as a church to help other churches start it. Because we want to see more people blessed, experiencing the life that Jesus has for them. And so this is just a quick video of one of the churches that we partner with in Tokyo. So go ahead and hit that. Hi, True Life Church. Uh, my name is Yoshito Noguchi, uh, pastor of Soma Fuchu in Tokyo. Thank you so much for uh, praying for us and supporting for us. And we have been church planting in since 2011, and my family and I moved to 2011 into Tokyo 
and first three years uh, I was working uh, by vocational uh, doing ministries and now uh, by God's grace we have about 20, 20 adults and about 10 kids and we are still small but we have a vision that to saturate with the gospel in Tokyo. Uh, last month uh, one guy from college came to know Christ and now he's uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. So please pray that uh, more people will bring to this church and for his name and for his glory. And because of your prayer and your support, we are able to continue to do his mission in Tokyo. So thank you so much for your love, for your lo your love and supporting us. Thank you. Amen. So this is, this is what God wants us to use our money for. It's not the only thing God calls us to use our money for. God wants us to enjoy our money and enjoy our lives. And, but God calls us to use our money for the things that eternally matter. And imagine if that actually was true in our lives. And money never, it, it, it ceased being this thing that our hearts had. To, I mean, don't you, don't you want that? Don't you want not to be afraid of money? And don't you want money not to be this thing that's continually thinking about, but that you could actually say, man, I'm free from the power of money. I mean, don't you want that? That's what God desires for us to be able to experience. God loves people. And so he wants people to be blessed by the money that he has given us. And he wants our hearts to feed on who he is so that money is not something that, that masters us, but it's something that can actually be an extension of God's love. And that's true in Tokyo, and it's true here in Denver. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you to, if you are someone that is generously giving in the way that James talks about, no, man, sometimes that's hard. But this is the good that God is doing and that God calls us to. And when we find it hard, we can say, but thank you, God, that I'm actually... I'm actually able to do things that eternally matter. And, I, and then I would just maybe challenge you like James does all of us to go, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my, my money? Am I using my money for the things that eternally matter? Am I using it in a generous way that considers God? We're going to take communion. And when we, when we take communion, we remember some of these truths. Communion is an interesting thing because we say, let's feed, let's feast, let's fatten our hearts on this instead of money, instead of the other things that we worship. Let's, let's fatten our hearts on the truth of what God has done for us, the gospel, that Jesus had his body broken and his blood shed. Let's feed on that. Let's that be what fills our hearts, that we say, man, God is gracious. Let that fill my heart. Man, God's a judge. Let that fill my heart. Man, God loves me so dearly. Let that be what I feed on. And as we feed on that, we're able then to love and bless others so they can feast on who God is as well. So let me pray, and then we will sing in response and take communion. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to speak even difficult things to us, even wake-up call things to us. Thank you that you love us to the place. You love us to the place that you, you want. You want us to, to not just keep going down a path that you know leads to destruction. Thank you that you love us enough to speak those things. And God, thank you that you are so gracious in all the ways we've sinned, you paid for. And God, thank you that your love is expressed for how passionately you care about how we use our money because you love people and we are your people. So I thank you for that, God. Pray now that as we sing, as we take communion, you would take these truths and help them to really be stuff that we feast on. In your name, Jesus, we pray.